Welcome to the Rudo Love Podcast, a mini-series of anecdotes and interviews tailored for the inquisitive souls of today. On today's Ooh Ooh interview, where I ask juicy questions to people that move me, I asked Tina K. Kailia to join me. Tina is a bee priestess, honey witch, sacred circle and dark sauna facilitator, and karatika. Tina is a guide, pathfinder, space holder, and magical creator. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Happy to be here. Exciting. <laughs> Beyond excited, I think that the joy of being is absolutely present in this moment. My heart is bursting. Thank you. <laughs> yes, being, it's an important thing. And See what I did there? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Love it. <laughs> We all need to be more. Mm. Yeah, there's an Erica Badu um, song and like this riff that she does, and she goes, "Fly as a bumblebee, <laughs> can't nobody fuck with me." Yep. <laughs> and I'm just like, yes, we need more bee imagery in the world. Yeah, they have taught me so many lessons on just to be, um, especially in this world we are in. Um, so much healing comes from them and the frequency they go way beyond just being insects or uh, honey producers which makes me cringe and mm. part of my mission is to get people to see bees differently for the sacred um, beings that they are they mm. are messages from spirit and um, they're actually not designed to fly so they when they levitate it's it defies all physics and the, the lessons that they hold just take you from one rabbit hole to another. Amazing. I mean, you're a um, certified apiculturist. Yes. Apiculturist? Apiculture, yeah. Mm. Um, there are certain things that, um, well, you need to adhere to in terms of safety and um, bylaws and all the boring stuff. Um, but... To be able to dive into that, um, the apian is, um, apis mellifera is the Latin word for the honeybee, the European honeybee. There's quite a few more species, but that is the one that we know that flies around and produces the amazing nectar and honey that we eat. Um, and the apian is um, a metaphor for um, the 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 um the whole hive the the superculture that exists in one of those honey boxes they call them um the hive is a mystical place of creation and the apian is more than just one bee it's the entire colony working together for the greater good so the lessons when you take time to be with your bees i don't even like the word beekeeping because they don't need keeping mm. um they need protection in this day and age because we have brought them to the brink of extinction yeah. in some countries and getting away from looking at them um, just as honey producers for me is important because they are not just pollinating most of our food crops and bring honey, they also are canaries in the coal mine and when you are um, when you have bees you cannot not look after your environment and everything becomes important that the neighbors use to spray their stuff and the council sprays the boom, those kind of things. Um, you become really aware of it and you want to make your garden a better place and you want to grow natural things. 
and then you want to tell everyone else they should do the same thing. So it, it's activism on a tiny scale. Absolutely. And I love it. And every time I am with my bees, the connection drops deeper. Mm. They, they can tell my vibration. If, if someone is agitated or fearful or uh, stressed, the bees pick up on it and they're not calm around you. And you've got all these people saying, oh, yeah, but they come and chase you. So they don't. That's a cartoon image. Um, and yes, there are bees in this world that um, are aggressive. Um, but we don't have them. The honeybee is very, very placid, very gentle, and they only really come after you when, when you when you bother them. Right. So we have six hives in our property, and we we always in the garden. And wow, there's days. Six. Yes. I didn't plan to have that many, but because they they procreate in a beautiful way, where um, every springtime they genetically multiply, and then one queen decides that they're gonna summon half the bees from a hive, and then they swarm. And wow. commercial beekeeping tries their best to prevent that from happening. And it's gone into um, a production line where they inseminate queens, where they breed them. They squash the queen after a year because she doesn't perform. And everything about it made me cringe. Mm. And I started off with um, going to a local bee club, finding out how to, how to have them. Mm-hmm. And after a year, there were so many practices that literally want to make me cry. Where I go, no, I do my own thing. So my journey with um, going into apiculture was just to infiltrate the system and do it my own way. Um, yeah. With having the the knowledge on what has to be done and what you can modify. And then bring as many women into beekeeping as possible. And connect with that sacred way of bee guardianship with mm. the bee and not for honey profit mm. and that's why I like I, I am the honey witch because I go into schools and holiday programs and have an online learning school where um, children can start connecting with the bees oh I want to have you at my <laughs> kids school I know um, and I have a little um, a little mobile um, bee travel hive so they can come with me and they can feel the vibrations it can so see you'll them come up. on request yep. to schools yeah oh okay <laughs> and um, online as well because we've had um, a lot of people choosing homeschooling and they don't have access to a fully blown school garden or school hive and I love bringing kids that wondrous world of the honeybee and the history so it goes into ancient Egypt into Babylonian times into Greece and it's just really beautiful and um, mm. the feminine we used to actually be the ones looking after the bees. We were called the Melissae. Yeah, I know. So that is a whole different, <laughs> different story in terms of how we are connected as yeah. females. I mean, I of course have come across that term only in Starhawks, um, the fifth sacred thing. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's a hook. It hooked me. Yeah, and I. I have a connection into Delphi somehow. I've spent my summers in Greece when I was a young, well, a young teenager and um, in my childhood. So it's funny how stuff comes back to you and you feel like right at home, I've done this before. What an incredible path. Yeah. And my grandfather was a, was a beekeeper. Oh, I didn't know that. I grew up around bees. Um, and he was doing that in the um, late 70s and 80s. My dad's a carpenter, so um, we made all the bee equipment. And then I helped out in the summer holidays with making frames and That's marking so cool. queens and, and collecting honey and um, making candles out of wax and stuff like that. But... 
it didn't really come back to me until a few years ago. And it was a healing journey of um, dealing with grief of losing five babies. That mm. was beautiful for me to come back to who I was. And I can't tell you how many times I have been opening hives and started crying. And um, remembering those times still makes me tear up because mm. um, it's been a very big journey for me. Mm. Um, but I know how honeybees how the frequency can heal you. And the hum of the honeybees or the buzzing is actually the same frequency as the mantra Om. So it's fascinating. And there's so many, so many things that they can teach us. And I still get blown away by certain things that I either observe or um, that I learn with other communities around the world. Yep. Um, and a lot of women have come back to having bees in the garden, but just to have them around. Right. And any surplus that there is, um, is a gift from them. Um, and what I call the sacred beekeeping or bee guardianship is leaving the bees to do their thing. They don't need us to tell them what to do or manipulate hives as the beekeeping industry would tell you. I, um, I don't take the honey off them. I let them have at least a full box per hive to keep. And only if I have a surplus is when I take honey and have beautiful honeycomb for the women who come through my space. And I have a selection of different honeys that I um, that I take and collect. And um, I don't do anything um, drastic in my hives in terms of chemicals and, and interfering. Mm -hmm. I trust that they know what they're doing because mm -hmm. um, the more you surrender, the happier they are, I find. Yes. I mean, that's just a universal message, isn't that? It is. <laughs> so, yeah, I could talk about bees all day, every day. <laughs> Which is... Because I love them. Totally welcome here. Um, I sense that what you're saying is that, I guess, the, another level or another um, good companion to your urban gardening could be beekeeping. Are there any kind of things that... Um, people would need to contemplate before making that kind of decision? Not really. Um, it's just a willingness to learn and be amazed. And I um, I know bylaws in different areas in New Zealand are can vary, but normally even if you have a townhouse, you can have bees on your balcony because they forage um, within a three-kilometer radius and there's always something in, a, in an urban environment. Um, so you'll be surprised how easy it is to have bees. Wow. Um, it's a little bit of equipment needed and um, a lot of time, but that is the beauty of having the bees. It's it's like a living a living in yoga teacher <laughs> right. or meditation guru. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I, I sit next to my hives in the morning with my coffee and see what they're up to. I speak to them. I sit with them at nighttime, especially in summer, because they sit outside and you smell the waft of honey and propolis coming out. And it's mm. just really beautiful. And they come and drink water from the places where I leave them water. And I observe them and I know which bees come from which hive um, because there's different um, honeybee varieties. And they're just really really nice i mean there's the odd time where a guard bee lets me know that um today is not the day where you need to be next to my hive but that doesn't happen very often and i've probably been stung about five times in the time i've been beekeeping and That's it was my it? own fault yeah just five times yeah. And it was my own fault because I was pottering around and um, when it's a windy day, I walked through the flight path a bit too fast and I collided with the bee. So 
Or you step into one that's sitting in the grass when you walk barefoot in your grass. That's the only time I've, well, no, not the only, but that is the majority of the times that I've ever been stung. And it is so sad. I feel so bad when I step on a bee. Just give them blessings and send them back. Um, And one time I was stung on on my left breast, actually. Um, And... One thing I know, um, and because I do a lot of journeying with um, diving into the mysteries and the um, the spiritual side of the bees, um, the ancients say that be aware where bees sting you because sometimes they sense where you need more medicine, mm-hmm. um, and they say try and not to um, rip the stinger out and do all the things that you're supposed to be doing and just sit with the pain and see what message comes through and that takes a little getting used to it's not something you probably do six months into beekeeping that's like an extra level of toughness that i hadn't contemplated but i like it it's It's a good challenge i wouldn't call it toughness i would call it the ultimate surrender and see what what and and listening to your body and how it receives the venom because venom is a sacred essence it's there's there's medicine that the bees have, and and that's um, part of the bee priestess path is to to dive into that with the bees and dreaming with the bees and um, meditating with the bees. Um, it's interesting. It's interesting what comes up, and every woman that comes through my dark sauna space gets to meet the bees and yeah. gets to sample the honey, and the connection and the um, the prejudice that a lot of people have around bees gets blown out of the water they see them with completely different eyes and it makes me it makes my heart full and it makes me so happy and my mission is to have more women take up bee guardianship and have a hive because a lot of women we're the nourishers we're the nurturers and okay. I was going like, to ask why is that but you've just answered that we, yeah. we love growing good food and looking after family and um, honey is good for everything from the inside and the outside for the hair for the eyes for your for your stomach because it's got so many good properties but you need to have organic raw honey and um, otherwise enzymes get um destroyed so with some of the commercial honey it gets filtered three times to make sure it stays liquid doesn't crystallize and anything that's squeezy and runny out of a bottle is is been heated so you're looking at honey candy basically it destroys anything the honey that gets hotter than 40 degrees you destroy everything that's good in it Um, and if you don't honey doesn't go off they found honey in an egyptian tomb Mm -hmm. 2000 years old Mm -hmm. (laughs) and it was crystallized but perfectly edible Imagine that, trying to sample a honey that, that the Egyptians collected 2,000 yeah. years ago would have been, wow, that would have been quite a trip. Can you imagine? I know. And it's good for the skin. That's all I really put on my face. Nice. Um, it's like the bee Botox. <laughs> you, I mean, you, you make some incredible products. Um, yes. I mean, I, I appreciate what you're saying around not viewing the bees um, as resources that can be exploited. Um, and honoring the fact that, yes, they are producers, but that's n- not the primary source of entering into a relationship with them. Yeah. But given that, <laughs> you do make really incredible things with, with your honey. I do. Um, and it's sometimes intuitively mm-hmm. um, because I like putting natural things on my skin and in my body. Um, and... When they have a surplus, I see it as a gift of the gods, the food of the gods. That's what they say, the tears of Ra. And 
that frequency and when you have something really vibing um, and it can't get any higher frequency than honey um, it's the it's nature's ultimate superfood Mm. And that's why I love using it. And I mix it with some really delicious essential oils and things like um, myrrh powder or frankincense, which all have good properties for your skin. And putting that in a 24 karat gold powder, things like that. So it's really luscious. Yes. But I don't, I don't do it very often. Um, I have them sporadically, so most people find that when they come through my space, they see it's them and they grab them. I oh, know, or yeah. I stick it on my um, on my Instagram and I say, I've got, I don't know, a couple of jars um, when the mood strikes me. So that's where the honey witching comes in. <laughs> <laughs> Doing really, yeah, really beautiful things with it. Purposeful things because the timing is right, yep. not because... You're cranking it out no. all the time. Exactly. So, yeah, I like that. I I'm biased. <laughs> I'm enjoying this. <laughs> it's it's beautiful. Um, and from the next season, I will have a mentorship program for women who want to go and dive into the mysteries first, and over the winter time, absorb all the wisdom there is in the bees, and when spring comes, and I have hive um, splits and queens that need a new home, they can have those honey, uh, the beehives on their property, and then take it over if they would like to continue on the journey, and have an, another a, a feminine bee guardian to to share wisdom rather than be clubs who stick to some things that were just against migraine and yeah. um, have a different relationship with that. And obviously children love being around um, bees and learning and it's just a beautiful synergy because then you have flowers and you know what's flowering when and what properties each flowers have because they don't randomly land on a flower they they seek out whatever needs whatever the hive needs so they're little mini alchemists and apothecaries that fly around and collect from what nature has to offer the originals i know <laughs> so let's um talk about your dark saunas um you facilitate bi-monthly uh, yep. according to the moon cycles um opportunities for is it w mostly just women? It is mostly women. Um, I also have um, couples mm -hmm. for conscious relating in a in a really lovely space, and um, I'm also going to journey with um, the masculine later on this year um, because our men need some time to remember themselves and let some of the softer elements rise in them. And I have been approached by um, by some men who would like to experience it. So Beautiful. it will do it on a one-on-one -on -one basis. But um, it's something that is it's it's needed um, to heal their wounding. Absolutely, and being held in a space where they can explore that without any conditioning. And the dark does that. It's a safe space. It's also it can be a very triggering space being in the heat in the dark because our body goes. Ah! this is uncomfortable but sometimes that is what's required just to to dive a little deeper into that shadow side of ourselves that quite often we avoid yeah do you feel like it's important for your participants to understand the the details of what's going on for them like some of what you were just explaining or do you feel like 
you keep some of that to yourself and let it unfold I definitely let it unfold because um, it's not something it's it's such a individual journey for everybody and the people who are drawn to what I do they either have heard about me or find me and I only ask what sort of energy but if there's anything in particular that they've experienced and I intuitively just tune in with the energy or a day or so out and then I select playlists for the music and the ritual that might want to come through and it's a tailored thing and then um, yeah it's it's not not every session is ever the same to to the next one because it is individual right so it's really dropping in with that essence of someone's soul and and letting them giving them a safe space to fall apart yeah and then see what what's underneath oh. and come out um nourished and um maybe a little bit more aware of some of the things that they've been holding on to and so interesting to me to think about it being metaphoric and literal darkness to help illuminate yes so interesting i know there can be no light without the dark right and i think the conditioning in the society was that it's especially when it's religious or cultural um conditioning that we face is that we have a complete distorted view of what the dark means mm-hmm. um and if you look at um at ancient cultures there's always been some reference to the shadow world to the spirit world to the dark realm to the underworld um and i find it really fascinating because for myself um it took some reclamation and really embodying the word witch um and all the gifts that lie beneath the surface it's nothing to be scared about yeah it's where the nuggets of of truth lie Mm. and i've experienced it myself if you ignore it and keep ignoring it eventually it manifests in a physical form where your body is trying to tell you something and you're ignoring it so i had no idea how much trauma a body can hold and how that manifests Mm -hmm. physically and mentally Mm -hmm. um and my journey what the universe has taken me from a great height smashed me on a rock and said okay now let's see how you put yourself back together and they refer to it as the dark night of the soul um, it can be a process, it's not necessarily always a particular time, um, but it has certainly brought me on the path that I am now and I wish I I had much more of a circle that I could have connected with when I was going through things. So you're making it for yourself, yeah. for others? Yeah, because I know how important it is just to understand. And for women in particular, we have... We have turned on each other for centuries and the competition and the the wounding of trying to stand out um, to put others down and and the media certainly doesn't help, um, but it's always been around. To come back into true surrender of and, and trusting each other that we hold the same genetic codes, that we hold the same issues and sometimes it's just having another woman speak out what we feel ourselves mm-hmm. because when in circle it blows me away even with energies that are going on in the collective quite often we're actually more in sync than we give ourselves credit for that because we, f- we all feel stuff we just don't always have space to articulate what wants to come up yeah and the whole rewilding with the moon is beautiful because we have all had our history and journeys with our own menarch and and menstrual cycles and 
the power of of that space of creation of knowing the seasons in our bones we have we have that wisdom tattooed on our bones and that space and having women open up um, ancestral things as well just blows my mind I sometimes sit there in pure so much joy that I cry because I feel humbled that I am able to to facilitate that space and mm -hmm. it took me a while to own that um, when I look at my my career it's been in media and manufacturing so there wasn't much room for the feminine to unfold or the arts to come through um, I had my parents literally told me when I wanted to go into graphic design uh, and that was way before computers came out I'm 47 so I remember where there was no internet and no Adobe <laughs> we had we had it was hand sketching and they said no nah, you're going to business school there's no money in the arts wow even though your father was you know a crafts person yeah, yeah. essentially yeah he he didn't have an industry you know so to speak he had a trade and there there's craftsmanship in there there is and he he designed beautiful furniture but um he comes from a long history of scarcity same as my mother's lineage two mm. world wars and money doesn't grow on trees you have to work hard so you have they to sacrifice a guarantee yeah. of some kind of yeah that took a long time for me to break away from and to accept the fact that um, you don't necessarily need all the credentials and certificates to do what you do. You have a soul gift. And your job description in Germany, where I come originally from, um, holding beautiful space is certainly not something that, <laughs> that would fly with that. So I, that was the old, the old world that was still remnant inside of me that I yeah. had to go and break with. Oh my gosh, it's and it's um, sneaky, isn't it? It is. You 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 create these wild and imaginative possibilities for yourself, and then there's this little sneaky voice going, "Isn't that practical?" I know. Shouldn't you be doing what this? What does that even mean? <laughs> exactly. And I'm like, "Shush now, thank you very much." Yeah. Um, I'm having fun. Exactly. And it's fine to just do a day of fun and and. When I focus on um, the one-on-one -on -one coaching that I do, a lot of women coming back to feminine, be a mother is not actually, even though it is the ultimate feminine expression, it's actually not a feminine energy because we're constantly doing. Mm. And that blows people's mind um, because it's not something we're necessarily aware of. Mm. And we fill everyone else's cup before we do our own. Um, and we need to do it the other way around. And yeah. it's not selfish. It's not indulgent. It's not all the things. It is perfectly acceptable for you to have a day where you go, yeah, no, I'm not ad adulting today. I'm just going to lie on the couch, ignore the washing, and order in food, read a book, have chocolate, all the things. And we're not conditioned to let that happen very often. No. The Certainly as we in. age with responsibilities, yeah. dare I say it. So is that flow of, of learning to have both? Yeah. That um, is something that I had to learn. Um, and it, yeah, as you said, it comes back in little sneaky ways where you go, yeah, I've been there, done that, and the shadows happened, and then whew, out comes it, and you're like, oh, didn't I do that last year? Wasn't that part of it? So here we it go comes again. Back, yeah. yeah. Another way. Absolutely. I know what you mean by that. <laughs> but then we're tidal creatures. Mm. Yep. Yep. There's nothing really ever destroy a day. You just no. learn to work with it differently. Yeah. Let the tide take you. Yeah. I like and that. And wash you back to shore. 
after you've been replenished and refreshed. <laughs> um, so I'm, I've got like a little bit of a wind up question for you. Yeah. I, I need to like preface this for some reason, <laughs> my next question. Um, so there's lots of aspects uh, and themes that you work with that I'm really, really um, excited about as well. Um, and I have a bit of uh, a probative question that I want to be able to offer my answer to this as well. Mm -hmm. But um, first, um, this has to do with your relationship to an emotion called rage. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, what's been a turning point for you in exploring the empowering part of full embodied rage? Can you remember a significant moment that oh, shaped? Yes. Okay. Yeah, yep, very vividly. <laughs> I have spent three decades of my life not feeling good enough, not feeling that I'm able to be center of attention that I wanted to hide. And um, believe it or not, I was, I, I used to flush, uh, get flushed and sweaty palms, even just oh, going yeah. in a boardroom with five other people. It wasn't my natural environment. And I had to go and be sh be shaken out of my old conditioning and it happened in an instant it was so powerful I can't exactly remember what I said but I was asked at the festival to co-create a circle and I wasn't leading or facilitating it I was just supposed to come in at some stage and speak into empowering your voice which is something that my karate journey is is part of and I remember sitting there and there were six women who who had a part to speak and the circle was open I said okay who would like to speak into this and I was remember sitting there thinking oh I want to hide I want to run and I can't possibly do this everything all the feels and I let all the women go first and then the facilitator was looking at me and I thought okay I'm, she can't she can't do anything if I really don't stand up but then it was almost like an invisible force that took me that and I stood up and I had so much growling when I started speaking into old programming and the not good enough and how we all have a story and that voice came from somewhere so deep that I didn't even know existed it cracked me out of every old shell that I have possibly been carrying on my back and I remember women that were starting to cry and then I I started just standing there thinking wow and I got louder and louder and I got them to stomp and I got them to scream and really dredge up the conditioning from deep within them like a dragon that's been lying dormant in a lair and by the time that finished um, I actually and I, I wasn't due to have my moon bleed but as I was walking away I felt blood running down my legs and I go holy schmackaroni what, what just happened and it took me three weeks to unpack what had happened and I cannot remember exactly what I spoke into I just remember the impact that it had right so that was my that was my cracking open of of letting that sacred rage that I have carried that my grandmother carried that my mother carried of going against their pleasure and their self-expression and doing something that for the for the sheer joy of it and just functioning in, in the world and mm. doing all the time and mm. that was my moment where I go I'm going to change this I'm going to from now on for the people and for the women after me no more 
my God. I definitely was there in that moment. I could feel just as you described that, that you summoned it up, you transferred it mm. to the people that were there, brought them along. You, I can, I can picture what it would feel like to stomp mm. um, for potentially the very first time. Yeah. And to allow yourself that that room because it does require you to actually expand and broaden. Yeah, <laughs> it's it was the invisible dragon wings that were tucked for so long, out of the sudden expanded to full flight position, and the sword, my warrior, that was deep inside me, just literally took that sword out of the sheath and held it right up in the air and go I'm here take me if you want to but I'm here I'm not going to be ever quiet again wow and that translated into my into my martial arts journey from there on after where nothing was ever impossible and and bringing that voice is my absolute passion because it changes women the sacred rage of all the centuries of oppression that we all carry the witch wound I call it is it's it lies dormant it needs to be awakened mm. and it's powerful mm. we are powerful so it's it's why i am here why i've always why i've always been very spirited and went with my head through the wall and never took the path of least resistance which i tried to suppress and try to fit in for so many decades it's <laughs> it's taken me 47 years around the sun to arrive here <laughs> and she's never going to be silent again heck yeah Mm. My my own answer to that question is much more um, subtle. Although, having said that, there's like a kind of um, coupling experience that happened that preceded this. So mm. something really um, offensive happened in my relationship. Um, and I was so incredibly struck with the level of injustice that had that had occurred you know someone had wronged me mm. and I had um just by pure coincidence um this huge pile of um you know how when you have a sage bundle you get lots of little um bits that fall off mm -hmm. and you're like oh what do I do with this so I had like a huge um metal bowl of all of these like sage crumbles mm. And I decided that I was going to light the entire bowl up. And uh, so instead of having a blackout rage moment where you then immediately go at the person who's done something to you, um, what I usually do is go inward. Mm -hmm. um, but this time, the inward told me to go do something. Mm -hmm. So I lit this pyre <laughs> of sage <laughs> and put it between my legs and stood over it. Nice. So that the smoke, and I watched the smoke kind of go like billowy, billowy, and then shoo, turned into a column that just mm. went straight up. And yeah. I was like, ah, yeah. this is what I needed to do. I needed literal smoke up my ass to make this thing move. I don't, I don't want this in me to just fester. Mm. Um, but you know, that wasn't, I don't think, enough. I think it was 
a moment that certainly helped with that instance, but it, it wasn't like an ingrained pattern yet, right? Mm. So flash, flash forward years ahead, I'm still grappling with this sense of injustice when someone does me wrong. Mm. And I'm on the phone with um, my best friend in New York, and he says, Rudo, what's your relationship to rage? Mm. And... <laughs> I said, I don't think I really have one. Mm. Great question, DK. I I don't have a healthy relationship with rage. And yeah. he was like, mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. A lot of women are in the same position. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and from that moment on, I couldn't not contemplate that. Mm. And I couldn't not just pick up the baton and go, it's my turn to sort this. Mm-hmm. It's my turn to have a better relationship with rage. Yeah. And then I went on to learn about using emotions as fuel mm-hmm. for my own creative practice. But that those turning points I think are really fascinating because I usually come with like a heightened like formative memory. Yeah. You know, yeah. and you it kind comes of, from a deeper place. It doesn't come just from what we thought triggered it. It goes way back. It's yeah. like that thread of a jump of you go, Oh, look where that goes. Yeah. And then it unravels further and further. Yep. And it's never quite finished. And the unraveling is a beautiful way of both explaining the act of, but also the journey of of telling our stories. Yes. And yes. exploring our stories. Yeah. Yeah. It's exciting to witness when that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, the sacred rage is, is that centuries of oppression and we all have whether it's racial whether it's cultural religious there's always somebody that has been um that tried to keep the lid on us and it has played out in so many ways and we have we become more aware of how that played up in our mother's lives and grandmother's lives and family lineage history lineage into our ancestral patterns um so the sacred rage goes so deep but those embers they're there. They're never gone out. And as soon as a spark comes through, it goes, woof. Oh, okay. That's that's not just a little bit of a fire. It's a wildfire. Mm. Um, and, yeah, we've been we've been told the angry woman is not acceptable. Mm-hmm. It's She's called difficult, spirited, confrontational, a bitch, all the names and all the things. Um, and also an angry woman is considered an ugly woman because we make faces so I often use in my practice um, when we do work with the sacred rage mirror and I get women to literally pick their favorite superhero whether it's Lagatha or I don't know Wonder Woman or someone who has a dragon like Teneris from the Game of Thrones just just watch yourself imagine you are her and feel that power and that fire. And then I want you to go and someone just just trying to hurt you, dragging your family, whatever, your, your kingdom, stand, stomp. Stand in a stance with your, with your legs wide open, take up all the space and just imagine you're holding a sword or a bow or whatever and then look in the mirror and make 
and scream and yell and make a really angry face. Ooh. That is very triggering because it goes against everything we're told. Be the good girl, be the quiet one, be polite, smile, cross your legs, all the things. Calm down. I know, exactly. Don't yeah. be hysterical. Don't be a drama queen. We all have, I mean, I could. we could sit here half a day and, and, and pick a part of all the things they try to label us. Yeah. And... It is powerful because there's nothing more. And once once women start stomping, and my my circle room is small, so it it, it amplifies. <laughs> Sometimes I have my husband in the other room because what were you guys doing? I heard this and I thought it's like a, a thunderstorm. I said yes, it was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's 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 freeing, mm. and everyone holds that same rage, and then the fire burns brighter, voices get louder, storms get more powerful, mm. and then you could literally, and I always say this in self-defense, walk down the street like you have dragon wings tucked up behind you, and have this whole orb around you, which is your personal space, and every energy, anyone who enters your space is trespassing. And that is that's the power you want to hold. So you do not, you do not ask for permission or for respect. You command it. You exude it with your body. And if you look at the science into it and what what certain people look for when they pick a victim to assault or for rape, sad as it is, we have to talk about that. Um, if you are holding a certain body position with the literally f off vibes, you are less likely to be to be picked on in that fashion mm-hmm. which is quite fascinating and this is the number one for self-defense not the fancy karate stuff which as a woman you don't tend to use because you get attacked from behind or someone tries to drag you so you need to play dirty but you need to be prepared to actually do the things and that needs a certain uh, and that voice that goes with it even just a, a no or a stop like really like you growled it from the depth of the underworld and that voice that comes out that says no is not of this world, people will go, oh, okay, all right. It's a fascinating transformation and that's why I love um, teaching young girls that. Yes. So when it comes to puberty and adulthood, if some boy said, oh, send me a, a nude picture on the cell phone, they know boundaries and consent and go, hell no. Mm. and stand up and own that without ever faltering because XYZ has done something or society wants me to be like this or like that. Yeah, it's, the practicing of the no. Yeah. Epic. So that's 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 what I love and live and breathe. It was one of the first things I learned about parenting is like respect your kids no because yeah. the no has to precede the yes. Yeah. You have to let them be solid in their no. Yeah. Mm. It's a beautiful that's a beautiful angle into that on what we teach our kids because I was I remember being told a lot oh you should be more like such and such and and come come give auntie such and such a hug and and don't go into your room we have a family do and I wanted to take myself out of certain situations because it was too much for my sensory field it was overload Mm -hmm. and I was forced to go no it's 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 rude to do that you need to be part of it and yeah it sticks with you yeah you have to undo it later on Exactly. Well, the work is being done. That's for sure. Which is brilliant. Uh, what an yeah. exciting time to be alive. Yeah. Thanks. And have conversations <laughs> like this where we can just, there's no agenda. It just goes and flows naturally and have all the beautiful things that we enjoy um, brought into the light. Mm-hmm. So 
I'm going to put in my um, show notes the ways in which um, you're you're relatively easy to get a hold of. Yes. Easy to find, but <laughs> I will do my due diligence because I think it's really important for people to, um, should they feel moved to, to reach out to you. Yes. Um, you're just an incredible woman. So Thank you. So are you. <laughs> <laughs> so um, part of my UU interview uh, shtick is to ask my um, interviewees um, a couple of questions. Yeah. Um, seemingly innocent. <laughs> You're, are you ready for some rapid rapid fire questions? Yeah. Okay. Go for it. <laughs> okay. Given the option to travel to other solar systems to explore extraterrestrial existence or the ability to fly here on Earth, which one would you choose? Celestial. Mm. The, the star skies. Syrians, Pleiadians, all of that. Zero surprise there. <laughs> Because you do quite a lot of metaphoric um, traveling, flying here yeah, with your mugwort. (laughs) I got back in time too because um, the ancestral um, lineage just fascinate me from my own um, roots and lines as well as the ones that um, I've lived through in other lifetimes. Mm -hmm. Cool. Okay. Um, My mama told me about a recent Discovery magazine in our article where in it um, the assumption is that we become better people when we learn another language. So I want to know if there is a word in another language that you know, obviously you're German, so, um, but I, I know you've probably picked up a few other languages here and there. <laughs> um, is there a word that has like a particular deep resonance for you? I think aroha that is the epitome of New Zealand and what I still feel like when I am in nature in New Zealand and the reason why I stayed um, for good beautiful (laughs) okay you did it (laughs) you answered my questions I loved your answers thank you um So as we approach the end of this episode, I would be remiss if I didn't take a moment to voice gratitude. Thank you. Gratitude to you, sweet woman, for being here and for offering up your sacred space for this to be recorded. Gratitude to the guides and inspirational elements that support us. Thank you to this blue and green earth that supports life and the flora and fauna that create equilibrium and beauty. Thank you to the ancestors that dwell within these bones and in the veil which often overlaps and whispers in the air. Thank you to the people in my life, the network of support and unconditional love in which I rest. Thanks to Bjorn for engineering, producing, and supporting the packaging up of this delicious experiment. And thank you to you, dear listener, for your time and for choosing to engage and play. Kakite anoaho kiakwe.